you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 will be our text for today. As Eric and I uh, share the, the majority of the preaching in, in uh, this congregation, Eric has been preaching through Luke. For the last year, I have been uh, preaching through the book of Hebrews. So we will continue that sermon series today. We've been taking very large chunks, generally a, a chapter or more at a time, but today we're going to zoom in. Um, and we're going to zoom in on just two verses. And this will probably be the fewest amount of verses that we take in this series, um, but I think that it's important that we do that this morning. This is Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. It's our sermon text for this morning. I'll read it for us now. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Dear Father, we thank you for the scriptures given to us here in your word here. We pray that you will give us wisdom and understanding to understand it this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Are there things in your life, like there are in mine, that are just assumed? What I mean by that, is there a, is there a part of your, your you know, daily ritual, your daily life that you just do without thinking about it? Or if in, in, in my house, it's a piece of furniture. Okay, Amy's not in here, so she won't get mad at me. But we have a piece of furniture that is just there. And it's really not even furniture. It's more like a decoration. Someone, whenever Gwen, our oldest daughter, was born, they carved a, a, like a six-foot ruler that you hang on the wall and you mark you know, how tall she is each year. It's very cute. It has her name engraved on it. It's beautiful. It's really well made. Problem is, we never hung it up whenever we moved into our new house because we didn't really know where to put it. And so now it's just kind of sitting in the corner. And I see it all the time. Like the other night, I was sitting on the couch, and I looked, and I was like, why is that there? I was like, oh, yeah, it's there. And it's just kind of assumed that it's always there. It's assumed, you know, it's, just, it, it's there. I can't really tell you why. I don't take the time to move it or hang it up, and I just, it's just there. My fear is that for the majority of Christians, that's the way we think about preaching. It's there in the living room. We see it all the time. But do we really know its purpose? Do we really know what a sermon is or why we have preaching? Take the, maybe most of you guys don't have a three-year-old at your house like I do, but maybe you have a three-year-old grandchild or a a niece or a nephew or a neighbor, okay? And if you talk to that three-year-old today, what do three-year-olds do? They ask why a lot. Right? That's like their favorite letter and their favorite word. Why? So imagine you're talking to a three-year-old today after the service, and they say, where did you go today? Oh, I went to church. What do you do there? Oh, well, we sing songs. And, well, why do you sing songs? Well, we sing songs because we want to celebrate what God has done for us, and, and it's good to sing together. What else do you do there? Well, we listen to a sermon. What's a sermon? What would you say? where a goofy-looking guy stands up in front of us and gives us some advice? Well, why do you listen to him? Have you thought about these questions? What is a sermon? Why do you come week in and week out? Why do you listen to Eric and I? These are questions that we assume the answer to. These are questions that we assume the answer to. But in the Bible, it gives us explicit answers. Why do you come to church week in and week out? Why do we have sermons? What is a sermon? What is preaching? Why do you listen to me? I'll just be very upfront. This is a very humbling sermon for me to be preaching. I don't necessarily, if I was coming up with this in a laboratory, this is not what I would have come up with, which hopefully gives testimony to the truth of what the Bible says. But me standing up here before you today and saying, you need to listen to me is not my idea of fun. I'll just put it that way. 
But it is the Bible's truth. And it is the teaching of God's word. So let's look at that together now. Let's see if together, looking at scriptures, we can unassume preaching and we can explicitly understand what it is and why it is important for the church. So our text today, Hebrews 4 verses 12 through 13, is a very famous text. A lot of people have probably heard of this, right? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This is what I call a coffee mug verse. It's that verse that you take out and you put it on a coffee mug, and whenever you're drowsy in the morning, you pick it up and you're like, yeah, the Bible, I'm going to read my Bible today. And that is certainly important. Let's first answer, what is the word of God? Well, the word of God is the Word of God tells us what it is, right? Jesus, whenever he was quoting the Old Testament, he thought that, and he knew, and he would say that he was speaking God's Word, that he was referring to God's Word. Paul is the same way. Peter is the same way, as we heard from our reading in the Confession of Sin earlier. Right? The New Testament writers believed that what is here is the Word of God. We call this the Bible, right? The, and, and it is a Bible. Bible means book. Bible means book. But what is contained in this book, Paul tells us in Timothy that Eric preached a few weeks ago or a few months ago now, what is contained in this book is the scripture, which is, Paul says, theanustas. That's just a fancy Greek word for breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. God's word then is the scripture. If you want to hear God speak to you, if you want to hear his word, you don't need to sit in a closet, get really quiet and have ambient lighting and hope that the spirit descends upon you like a dove. If you want to hear God's word, you go here. This is where it is. This is what contains God's word. Psalm 119. We read some of Psalm 119 earlier. And all Psalm 119 is David meditating on the Bible. It's David meditating on the Scriptures. It's David meditating on the law and him saying, Your law, your word, you have spoken out to me. A very famous verse from Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. He calls it your word, literally what God has said to us. So the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. What Hebrews is telling us here is that the word of God is good. We should meditate on it the way that David did in Psalm 119. The Word of God is good for us. The Bible, the Scriptures, we should devote our lives to their study. We should devote our lives to their memorization. It's hard work. Trust me, I know. I've been trying, and then you get distracted, and you have a bad week. But but it's worth it. It's good. John Fox, in, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, he tells the story of Joan Waste. Has anyone ever heard of Joan Waste? Okay. Joan Waste was born to a very poor man uh, uh, and poor parents, and she was born in about the 16th century, 17th century, somewhere around there. They don't know exactly when she was born. A lot of times, whenever you were very poor in those days, we don't record that. But Joan, not only was she born to a poor family, her father would sometimes, uh, he was a barber sometimes, and sometimes he would make rope. They were so poor that uh, they could not get instruction for Joan. She could not go to school. But not only was she born poor, she was born blind. So even if she could have read, they probably couldn't have afforded to take her to read. But what Joan began to realize was that though she couldn't see, though she couldn't read, her other senses were just really, really in tune. They were really powerful. And so she started to go and sit under sermons and she would hear the word of God and she would memorize the word of God. 
And eventually, she got to the point where some of her favorite preachers were being persecuted and put in jail. So what she would do is she would scrounge up pennies or nickels, or what are equivalent to pennies or nickels for us, just anything that she could get. And remember, she was poor. She would scrounge up every dime she had, and she would go to someone who knew how to read. She would say, hey, here's a quarter. Will you read to me for an hour the Bible? And they would read the Bible to her, and she would listen to it. And Joan Waste ended up memorizing the New Testament. Now, here's my question. Is the Bible worth it enough to you that all of your disposable income would go towards having some access to it? Oh, that, that got me when I read about Joan Waste. I'm going to give an illustration later that's going to make me look real bad because not all my disposable income would go towards that. But that should be how much we cherish the Word of God. That's how much we should cherish Bible intake. If we couldn't have a copy of the Bible, then we should be walking over broken glass to hear it, to see it, to have it from others. Because the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we'll see what that means in just a minute. But do we value Bible intake like Joan Waste did? Do we value Bible intake so much that our lives are built around that, that we structure even our days around that. I hope that is, is true for many of us, that we, are, that we hunger and thirst for the Word of God, as it says in the Beatitudes. Now, it is certainly true that this passage is talking about you should read your Bible. You should make sure that you have good Bible intake. That is certainly true, but that is not the main focus of this passage, okay? Because we just kind of took those two verses out of context, the main focus of this is that the Word of God that he's speaking about here, that is living and active, is the preaching of the Word. It's the preaching of the Word. So let's just take a brief minute and let's look back at the context of Hebrews. Remember, the book of Hebrews is one book. It was probably a sermon preached by the Apostle Paul. And the whole point of the sermon is Jesus is better right? Jesus is better than any angel. Jesus is better than any prophet. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than anything else that you can turn your attention to. Why do we know that? Well, because the Old Testament told us what Jesus was going to do, and now we see what Jesus has done. Jesus was going to save us from our sins through the shedding of his blood, that was the promise of the Old Testament. The New Testament says, he has come, he has done it. Okay? That's how we know that Jesus is better. Then in chapters 3 and 4, Paul then gives us this exhortation. Right? He says, since you know that Jesus is better, don't turn back. Since you know that Jesus is better than Moses, Jesus is better than David, Jesus is better than Abraham, Jesus is better than any angel, don't look to those things. Look to Christ. A couple weeks ago, I ordered a new bicycle. You can, I know, I, it's all I talk about. But I love bikes. So I ordered a new bike. The problem is with the supply chain and just everything going on, I ordered it in the end of August, and it's not going to get here till February. Yeah, tell me about it. So I'm waiting, and I have this eager anticipation for this bicycle. It's great, it's beautiful. Um, I, it's, it's just everything I could ever want. And I bought it because I've got some, uh, some, some races that I'm going to be training for in April. <clears throat> and just to sort of combat the, the, you know, like the discouragement and like, why am I waiting so long? You know what I did? I went on the website that I ordered it from and I took a screenshot of the, of the bike. And now I have it on my phone. So like if there's a day when I'm like, oh, I don't want to ride my bike today. Man, what, I don't even have the bike. What if I just take it easy today? What if I'm just lazy you know what I can do? I can pull it up on my phone. I'm like, yeah, there we go. That's, what, that's what's coming. That's what's coming. And it sort of keeps me going, right? It, it, it makes me like, you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it to train. It's worth it. Just, just hang in there. It'll be here soon. Now, imagine February gets here. The bike is here. I, get it, I put it together, and I take it for a ride or two, and it's, it's just everything I wanted. 
you know, I'm, I'm just tearing it up. I'm super fast. All right, and I do, you know, two or three rides. But then Amy walks down into the living room and she sees me with my phone. She said, what are you doing? Well, I'm looking at pictures of my bike. Why are you looking at pictures of the bike? You have the actual bike. Go ride it. To look at the picture that's sort of telling me what I'll get is silly. One might even say it's foolish. Yet, that was the attitude of the people in Hebrews. That's our attitude so often today. Right? The Old Testament, the law, what was written before, was to point us to Christ. It's a placeholder. It's saying he is coming and there was eager anticipation. There was waiting. But once Christ has come, how silly is it to look back at the picture on your phone when you have the real thing? But that was the temptation. The temptation is always to take our eyes off of Christ and to look at something else, to look back at the picture. And so, The last part of chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4 is Paul saying, you need to combat this. You need to combat this by hearing the voice of God. Chapter 3, verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice. It says it again in verse 15, today if you hear his voice. Paul then tells us that, Whenever David wrote that psalm that was referenced there, he says today because he wants us to be reminded today. And today is today every day, right? We need reminding every day to hear the voice of God. We need reminding every day to turn our hearts in faith and repentance to Christ. Now, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 4, verse 11... There, the, the, the word hear or listen or some form of that verb is used eight times. It's used eight times in those verses. Now, if it's said eight times, what should that indicate to us? It's important. It's important. Notice that Paul doesn't say, today if you read his word. No, he says, today if you hear his voice. Whose voice? God's voice. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but strive to enter his rest. Paul is saying that there is something that is imperative for weary Christians who are struggling, who want to look back at their phone instead of at the real thing, who want to look at the shadows instead of at Christ, hear his voice today. Listen. Listen. Eight times he says it. Eight times he says it. And so in our passage today in verse 12, the first word is the word for. The for is a connecting word. And what it's doing is it's connecting what we're going to say with everything that was just said before. Okay, that's what that word for is doing. It's connecting these two thoughts. So if he has just said, today hear his voice, today listen, today Listen to God's voice, repent, turn in faith to Christ. Why? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Why do you need to hear? Because when you listen, when you hear, you hear the word of God. Simply put. Simply put. People want to hear a word from God. Have you ever had a big decision in your life? Maybe it's about a job or who you're going to marry or should you move or should you go to this college or that college or, or whatever it might be. When you say, I, I want to see what my mom has to say about this. Right? We want to hear what other people have to say. And as Christians, we want to hear what God has to say. We want to know his will for our lives. We want to hear his word. So Paul tells us, if you want to hear his word, listen. Listen. Now that's humbling. It's humbling on my end, standing up here speaking. And it's humbling when I'm sitting on your end. That I just need to listen. That I just need to receive. 
that I need to sit back and be passive for a few moments. Things not racing through my head, me not coming up with words and ideas, but listening to God speak. In the context of Hebrews, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, he's talking about listening to the Word of God. He's talking about listening through preaching. But the context, we can zoom out even more. In verse 12 here, I'm convinced that Paul has two Old Testament passages in mind. Two Old Testament passages in mind. At least, and those two Old Testament passages are informed by other Old Testament passages. What is the first thing he says about the Word of God? He says it is living and active. Now, we're good Bible students, right? We want to know God's Word. Whenever you hear living, what, what, what's one of the first things that your mind thinks, thinks to? My, mo- my mind goes to John where Jesus offers the woman at the well the living water. John 10, where, he, uh, where he, he sa- Christ says, I am streams of living water. Well, what is Christ referring to there? And what is this referring to? Well, I think that he's looking back to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. I'm not going to read the whole chapter of Isaiah 55. I'm going to read bits and pieces to help us get the sense of what it's saying. Isaiah 55 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, the living waters that Jesus said that he was. Isaiah is telling us to come to the living waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, And eat what is good, delight yourselves in rich food. And he says this, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And then just skipping forward to verse 10. Right there he gives us the command. Come, eat, hear, listen, incline your ear to the living waters. Verse 10 For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, growing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So what is he saying in Isaiah 55? What is Isaiah saying there? He's saying, come Hear, listen, hear the word of God, because when the word of God comes out, it will accomplish its purpose. It's living, it causes life, it's active, it goes forth, it does things, it moves, and it will accomplish that for which it purpose. Whenever Paul calls, calls the Word of God living and active, he is thinking about Isaiah 55 here. He's thinking about that Word of God which comes from his mouth. It comes from his mouth and does not return void, but it accomplishes God's purpose. Why do you need to hear God's Word? Because in hearing it, God accomplishes His purpose in your life. Now, the question about Isaiah 55 here is, who is, who is Isaiah 55 about? When it says, Show, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, whose word is that? Whose word is that? Well, Isaiah 55 is part of what are called the servant songs in Isaiah. A lot of people uh, throughout, throughout uh, recent church history have, have understood these as servant songs. And they're talking primarily about Christ who is to come. That's why Christ can say that he is the living water. But most commentators, or many commentators, also believe that Isaiah 55 is talking about Isaiah. It's talking about Isaiah. So whenever Isaiah says that, come and listen, who is he talking about? He's saying, come and listen to Isaiah. Whenever he says that, as the word goes out from my mouth and shall not return to me void, whose words are he talking about? 
He's talking about Isaiah's words. He's talking about Isaiah's words. Think about that. Isaiah is saying, you need to listen to me. You need to come and incline your ear to what I say. Why? Because God will accomplish his purpose through what I am saying. Further evidence for why that's Isaiah speaking. What's the next way in in Hebrews uh, 4.12 that he describes the word of God? He says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharper than any two-edged sword. This is a reference to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. It says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you people from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. This Verse 2, this is what he says. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver and hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And then he says this, but I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with God. We could keep reading. And this is another one of the servant songs from Isaiah. And as we read Isaiah 49, we can clearly see, right, that it's talking about Christ. Called from his mother's womb. That his name was named before he was born in the body of his mother. That he labored in vain. His strength was spent for nothing. Christ was rejected, despised by men. He was crucified. But you know who this is also talking about? It's also talking about Isaiah. This matches up with Isaiah's ministry perfectly. Think back to Isaiah chapter 6. It's a beautiful passage, Isaiah chapter 6. It's the calling of Isaiah. I think that it is a very important passage in all of the Scripture. And Isaiah is brought before the presence of God. He sees God in His holiness. And he says, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I can't lead this people. I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. I can't do this. But what does God do? God brings a seraphim with burning coals to touch his lips and purifies him. But here's Isaiah's commission. All right, we all know that part. Okay? Isaiah's commission, Isaiah 6, verse 8. And I, that's Isaiah, heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I, Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. That's another coffee cup verse. Right? Here I am, Lord, send me. I'm going to do your will. But what does God say next? Have you ever read this part of Isaiah 6? Go and say to the people, to Israel, keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their ears and what? Hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And it goes on from there. Can you imagine that? What if whenever Eric decided he was going to go into pastoral ministry, God says, Eric, I want you to go into pastoral ministry. And Eric says, yes, Lord, I'll do it. And he says, I'm going to frustrate your ministry at every turn. And people aren't going to like you. And people aren't going to hear your sermons. I mean, they're going to hear them, but they're not going to listen. Uh, And so I want you to preach week in and week out. um, And uh, people aren't going to understand what you're saying. They're not going to care what you're saying. Can you imagine how discouraging that would be? Yet that's what Isaiah, that was Isaiah's call to ministry. In Isaiah 49, Isaiah says, I've labored in vain. I preached to this people. I spoke to them. I gave them God's word and they will not turn to him. They will not turn to him. Yet Hebrews is telling us that it's through that It's through the speaking of God's word. It's through preaching whenever people don't hear, whenever people don't listen, whenever people's hearts are hardened, that that's when we hear God's word. Isaiah 49 is clearly talking about Christ, yes, but it is also Isaiah speaking. So Isaiah is a type of Christ and Christ is a better Isaiah. 
But it's very important. I, I, I think it's crucial to see here that the servant here in Isaiah 49 and the servant in Isaiah 55 is one who is preaching. The servant is one who is preaching. And think about the two ways that Paul describes that preaching. He uses two clear verses to link this to Isaiah. But he also says something very deep about preaching. One, that it's living and active. It is those streams of living water that call and come and invite us to to drink of water and to buy, to, to have milk and honey, to be satisfied. In preaching, that is what we offer out to people. We offer them to come to Christ, to drink of His mercy, to say, come and be filled with Christ. But you know what we also do with preaching? We call people to repentance. And there are times when preaching is hard. Perhaps the, the, the message today is hard. Perhaps it's hard for you, for me, for us to hear collectively that we need to sit under preaching and hear God's word through a sermon. Perhaps that's hard. Perhaps that makes us want to close off our ears. Perhaps that makes our hearts hard. But preaching does both. We sing in the song, O Church Arise, with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. We don't change the message. We don't change God's word. I don't cater my sermon to say, I'm going to be nice today or I'm going to be mean today. I preach God's word. Eric preaches God's word. And as it goes forth from our mouth and as God uses it, it will accomplish its purpose, which means that it will bring some to faith and repentance. And Isaiah tells us that it will bring some to a hard heart. And that's why we preach. That's why we preach. Look at what he says next. He says that this sword pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Spirit uses the words that we preach. The the Spirit uses what we say, and it hits us in the heart. That's the Spirit's work. All Eric and I can do is stand up here and try and faithfully preach what God's Word says. We can simply say, this is what the Word says, this is what you need to do, and then the Spirit will take that. God will take His Word, and He will make it fruitful in your life, or He will use it to convict you of sin and unbelief. But Paul tells us here that that happens. So when you hear a sermon, it is going to cut through. It is going to cut to the quick, as as men of old might have said. It is going to pierce your heart. And at that point, you have to make a decision. Will I listen to the preaching? Will I listen to what God's Word says? Will I forsake my sin? Will I trust in Christ for repentance? Or, I don't want to hear that. No thank you. And go about your daily life. The Word of God, when it is preached, the Word of God, when it is heard, pierces our hearts. The Spirit uses it to convict us of sin and unbelief. And if you don't believe me, let's look in verse 13. It says, no creature is hidden from what? His sight. Now, who is the his there? It's God. No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. So what is he saying there? He's saying that whenever Eric and I preach, whenever a pastor preaches and he gives God's word through the preaching of Scripture, that God is actively involved in that process. It's through the preaching of God's word that no one is hidden from his sight. It's through the preaching of the word that after we have heard it and after we have either followed Christ in faith and repentance or we have rejected Him, that we must give account to Him. I don't want you to listen to me because I'm going to quiz you on the way out the door. Oh, maybe I will. I don't want you to listen because at the end of all things, I'm going to be standing there next to, you know, St. Peter. That's, don't, that's not good theology. But I, it's not like I'm going to be standing there at the gates of heaven and saying, okay, did you listen to my sermon? 
Okay, what date did I say I was getting my new bike in? Okay, you were paying attention. Very good. Enter in uh, to your everlasting rest. No, I, that's not why I want you to listen. I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to Eric. I want you to listen to preaching and pastors. Why? Because one day you will have to give an account before God. You will have to give an account before God. So why do we preach? We preach because our faith is weary and weak, and we need to be reminded today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Why do we have preaching? It's because we need the living Word of God. We need the sword of His Word to pierce our hearts. We need it to come and call and invite us to drink richly of Christ. We need it to call us to repentance because, brothers and sisters, I need repentance every single day. And you need repentance every single day. Why do we need preaching? Because one day we will have to give an account before God and we can hide nothing from Him. And we need to hear God's word calling us to repentance and faith in Christ. The living word of God is active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Yes, read your Bible. Yes, be like Joan Waste. Think and prioritize about, uh, think and prioritize reading the scriptures, intaking the scriptures each and every day. but you also need to sit under preaching. You need to hear sermons that tell you the goodness of God, His faithfulness in Christ, how you ought to live in light of what Christ has done. This is the truth from Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. So what is preaching? How, let's unassume preaching for just a minute. What is preaching? Preaching is whenever someone, a servant of God, stands before you and speaks to you God's word. Why do we have preaching? Because today we need to hear his voice so that we might not harden our hearts in rebellion. What is a sermon? A sermon is an urgent plea from that servant, from the word of God, to turn your hearts to Christ in faith and repentance. There will be some who do not accept this. There will be some who hear the preaching of the word and they they don't want it. Sometimes we think, oh, if I preach a really good sermon today or if I nail all my points and I'm really clear in my transitions and and my conclusion and my stories are great, I'm going to wow everybody and they're going to really like the sermon. Scriptures tell us that there will be some times whenever people will not accept the truth of Scripture as it is preached. But for those of us who do, for those of us who the Spirit is working and moving in our hearts and in our midst, there's a great joy in preaching. Preaching strengthens our faith. Preaching is that call to come and drink until we're satisfied. When you hear a good sermon, when you hear Christ crucified proclaimed to you, and you turn your heart in faith, you will find satisfaction. That's what Isaiah 55 tells us. And when we come and when we listen and when we hear and when we believe, there is hope and there is satisfaction. There's beauty in preaching. There's beauty in preaching. It means that we don't have to come up with really clever things to say. That's good because I'm not very clever. Eric does not have to come up with lots of newfangled things to say. And in fact, whenever we think about the ministry of this church, what are things that we would like to say that are characteristic about our church and about our ministry? Wouldn't you love for people to look and say, that is a living and an active church? Wouldn't you also like them to say that they're a sharp church, that they're defending the truth and they're holding on to the truth? Those would be great things to be said about our church. Paul tells us in Hebrews that those things can be said about our, tr- our church when we prioritize the preaching of God's word. When we prioritize the preaching of God's word. I think that Isaiah and also Paul and Hebrews, as they're thinking about hearing the voice of God 
and they're thinking about hearing His Word, I think that they are thinking about Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Does anybody know the first book of sermons ever written? It's the book of Deuteronomy. Maybe not the first ever written, but the book of Deuteronomy is a really, really, really old book where a really, really, really old series of sermons was written down for us. Did you know that? Deuteronomy 1 verse 1 says this, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. These were a series of sermons that Moses preached to the people. And in chapter 1, as he's beginning his sermon, he's talking about what happened before, that the people did not listen to the word of God. Deuteronomy 1 verse 32 says, Yet in spite of this word, the word that they heard, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you. Then later in verse 43, Moses says again, So I, that's Moses, spoke to you, and you would not listen. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up. Whenever Moses preached in Deuteronomy, that was the context. He was preaching to a people who historically had not listened. They did not want to hear God's word. They were the people in Isaiah 6, right? They hear but don't perceive. They see but, or they hear but don't understand. They see but don't perceive. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And this is Moses speaking. He's going to raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Now Moses here is clearly talking about Christ. Christ is the prophet who was to come. Christ was going to come and he's going to fully reveal to us who God is. That's why John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word came into the world. Jesus has finally and fully revealed to us who Christ, or who God is and that he has saved us. That was Hebrews chapter 1. But Deuteronomy is also giving us a paradigm for what is happening here whenever we gather together, as the people of Israel gather together, that God is going to speak His Word here. And He's going to speak it through Eric, through myself. And this is the command of God. It is to Him that you shall listen. Church, that is humbling for me to say today. But it is the truth of God's Word. Out on the table out there, we have this little book. It's called Listen Up. It's by a uh, pastor named Christopher Ash. And Christopher Ash wrote, also wrote a book called The Priority of Preaching. Whenever I decided uh, that I was going to enter into pastoral ministry, uh, I prayed for him in the, the uh, pastoral prayer. Nathan Carter, he gave me two books to read. One is What is the Mission of the Church? And the second book that he gave to me is The Priority of Preaching. And I read this book. And it changed my life. I put more priority on singing and what happens in the worship service than probably any worship leader you've ever met. Stand me toe-to-toe with them and I'll talk to them and I'll prove to them I think more about singing and what we do when we sing. But you know what I think is more important than singing? It's preaching. It's preaching. It's hearing the Word of God. Because it's only once we've heard the Word of God and once it has pierced our hearts and our soul and has discerned our thoughts and brought us to faith that we can then sing with joyous hearts for what God has done. We've got to get the preaching part right. We have to get the preaching part right. And so this book, I challenged Eric to read it today, so maybe he will want to read it soon. But it's beautiful. But Eric and I, we need to be humbled under this truth that when we preach, it's no small task. We are setting out before people the Word of God. And God has given us authority based on Him to whom we must give account. This is a striking truth. Now, it means that we should study. 
We should work diligently, as it says in the scripture, to show ourselves approved. We should want to know what God's word says so that we're leading this congregation faithfully. But we are setting out before this congregation the authority of the word of God. Now, church, you should value that. You should want that. So this book is more for me and Eric and telling us what it is we're doing when we preach. He says pretty much everything I just said. Like I said, I'm not very clever. But in this book, it's the same author, and it's sort of the compendium to this. So what is it? We've unassumed preaching. We've unassumed the sermon. So what does it mean for you? What is our takeaway from this? Well, first... He gives seven ingredients for healthy sermon listening in this book. And I'm not going to do all seven, but I do want to to give you a couple. One is expect God to speak. Whenever you come through those doors on a Sunday morning, don't think that you're going to hear a good talk from Eric. Expect that God is going to move, that he is going to accomplish the purpose for which his word has been sent which is to grow our faith. Expect God to do that. Don't think that, oh, God is high and far away and, you know, maybe He'll do something in our midst today. No. Expect God to speak in our midst. I love the second one that He gives. Admit God knows better than you. Now, this really comes at the heart of the gospel. Because what does God say in His Word? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we come and we sit under this church and under preaching, we're like, yeah, I already knew that. Yeah, give us something we haven't heard before. Is that the best you can come up with? Whenever that's our attitude in preaching, then that's also our attitude towards Christ. When it says that God gives grace to the humble, that means that whenever we come into this room expecting God to speak as needy sinners, God gives us grace. That grace that comes from Christ. It means the gospel is at work in our lives. It means that we're reminded of our justification. It means that we're strengthened in our sanctification as we're reminded to repent and turn from our sins. It means that we are built up in our hope. And as we go through life's struggles, as we are the afflicted one that we sang about, that preaching, that grace that God gives us through it to those who are humble, that grace that he gives us is that strength that is ours so long as our days shall be. Admit that God knows better to you, which is more than a more a posture of the heart. It's more an understanding of the gospel than anything else, that we are needy sinners in need of a powerful Savior. And as you sit under preaching, think about what does the gospel have to say about listening to preaching? It says to listen. It says to listen well. The next few are, uh, are very similar One is to hear the sermon in person and to be at church week by week. We live in the age of the live stream. And you could could have been at home this morning and you could have flipped up your laptop or opened up your tablet and you could have heard a sermon that was 10 times better than this one you're hearing today. I promise you, you could have found many options. But it's important that you're here. It's important that you hear the sermon in person. We can take that from Deuteronomy. We can take that from elsewhere. If you want to know why biblically it's important, get this book and he will explain it to you. But it's also important that you're here week by week. Today, if you hear his voice, you need to hear the voice of God regularly and often. You need to hear it regularly and often. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, Paul tells us that Don't forsake gathering together. Why? Because when you gather together, you hear God's word. And when you hear God's word, you hear God speaking. So hear the sermon in person and hear it week by week. Finally, and the last thing, is to take what you hear and do it. Do it today. Do it without delay. Right? Hebrews closes. This was the passage that Amy and I had preached at our sermon, which might sound strange, um, but, it's, but it was part of it. Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders. Who are your leaders? It's Eric and I right now in this congregation at this time. Those who spoke 
to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hear what Eric and I say. Do it. Imitate it. Seek to do it. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. It says something about let them do their job with joy and not groaning. But um, that's from Scripture. But obey your leaders and submit. Do God's will. When you hear God's word preached, seek to apply it to your lives. Seek to apply it to what you do that day, the next day, and week in and week out. And in this way, preaching is formative for us. It takes our hearts and it molds them and it starts to conform them to the image of Christ. That is our ultimate prayer in all of preaching. When Eric and I preach, our ultimate prayer is that you will hear the gospel of free grace in Christ and that we will call you to repentance, that you will hear of your neediness of the Savior and you will say, Christ, I need you and forgive me from my sins, save me from my unbelief, and he will do it. He is a faithful Savior. So church, come, drink, buy of water, of of this water that is of immeasurable cost. Hear good preaching. Listen to sermons. Because when you hear good preaching and you hear good sermons and you sit under them faithfully, God is at work in your life. Perhaps it's in bringing you to repentance and faith in Christ. Perhaps it's the work of sanctification that is ongoing. But in all things, Christ is working in your heart and in your life and in your faith through the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We are stunned and astonished and amazed before it. We are humbled before it. We ask, dear God, that you will continue to let this pulpit here at Brainerd Avenue be a place of faithful preaching for many, many years. I pray that the faithful ministry of the Word here lasts long beyond my life, long beyond Eric's life, and that because of what you do here and your sustaining, that many hear the Word of Christ and are called to repentance. I pray that you will use the, the teaching and preaching of the Word to grow our hearts, call us to faith, and lead us into further Christ-likeness. It's in His name we pray. Amen.